Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football, the last, the most accurate podcast of the offseason because we finally made it. I'm your host, as always, John Daigle. Joined today, friend in life, a man who also just put in his final rankings changes of the week, none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? Yeah, probably not the last changes of the week, but uh, definitely a big uh, sweep of changes with all everything that's happened in the last couple of days with the cutdowns and uh, some injuries and stuff like that. I'm also happy to have my friend. This is an especially accurate episode of the Most Accurate Podcast because uh, we have a good friend of mine, Pat uh, Fitz, uh, Fitzmorris, on the podcast today. He's won the uh, Fancy Pros uh, Most Accurate Expert, and Fancy, Fancy Pros decided to go ahead and hire him. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Pat. Uh, thanks for having me, John. I mean, I, I feel pretty lucky. I'm here with my longtime friend from southeastern Wisconsin, fellow cheesehead, and uh, my, my buddy John Daigle I'm seeing for the second time in less than a week after drafting together at a Chicago bar last week. And we're about to get football. Eight days till the NFL and a couple days till we get full-on college football. I mean, how lucky can one guy get? And you and I are also about to make asses of each other in front of one another at the golf rounds a few Saturday mornings in the Chicago area. So, <laughs> yes, yes everything, everything's going quite well. But, gentlemen, we have to close out a few final news items before the offseason is officially done. We did, fortunately, avoid injuries to most top 50, top 75 players. So I think we actually got away quite easily in this offseason and preseason. But overall, one of the biggest news moments, that was the unfortunate event with Brian Robinson getting shot multiple times into his lower body over the weekend in a carjacking. He, fortunately, is doing well post-injury. So much so, he remains on Washington's active roster rather than being put on IR or the pup list. And this is important because, one, he's healthy. Let's start there. But two, on underdog in particular, what we're seeing now, and we know this not only from our 4 for 4 tool, Underdog ADP, but also just the fact that at 444.com slash underdog, you can see the rankings adjustments and what is happening to projections on the fly. And that is that Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick's ADPs have actually been the number one and two most fluctuated ADPs at underdog over the last 96 hours. Gibson headed for the beginning of the seventh round in particular, and McKissick now becoming a confident option for any tournament even if we're talking about 16 round PPR home leagues. Paulson, I want to start with you. What does this news do in your mind for Gibson and McKissick and drafts? So could you refine that uh, ADP a little bit for me? Because when I looked, it was it went from pick 97 for Gibson to pick uh, 92, but I might have been looking at the last week. If you have, you said 96 hours. So could you tell He's, me exactly he- where his, his ADP is landing? That is, that's it. Uh, 90, 90 mid-7th. I would imagine he moves up to the beginning of the seventh round. But yeah, okay. So I, I thought it was interesting because I was writing this situation up. And of course, Robinson's ADP has dropped 39 spots, uh, which is understandable. Uh, but usually in this situation, you see somebody else's ADP in the backfield rise uh, commiserately. Uh, and it didn't, it really hasn't happened yet for Gibson. I don't think that, it seems like uh, fantasy managers are, are out on Robinson for under, you know understandable reasons, um, but aren't really co- totally sold on Gibson, you know, getting all those touches back, which it looks like he will. Um, so, I, I he is now kind of a value, and I think in the seventh, sixth round. I mean, I've talked about Gibson before. He was really one of the most intriguing players coming into this offseason because he 
went from maybe flirting with top five value when JD McKissick signed with the Bills and then unsigned with the Bills or didn't sign with the Bills, but agreed to agreed to terms with the Bills and then reneged on that. Um, and then they drafted Robinson. They started talking about uh, Ron Rivera. Started ruminating about D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart backfields from the days in Cal- uh, Carolina. Um, and then he fumbles in preseason, and all of a sudden he's you know working out with special teams, and he's dropped. But this is no- normally a guy we're tripping over to try to draft. I mean, he's young. He's got two top thirteen uh, finishes on his resume. Uh, he's talented. Uh, he's got dual threat ability, all those things. And, uh, now he's suddenly becoming a little bit of a value again. I don't know. Like I passed on him in a recent draft. I probably, I regret it a little bit. I thought maybe he would make it back to me. Um, but he didn't. And, uh, I'm wondering, Pat, do you, uh, you know, what round do you think you feel comfortable with Antonio Gibson right now? Knowing that, you know, Robinson is probably going to miss about half the season. I mean, things I'm reading six to eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks. That seems to be the recovery timeline for him. Yeah, and you almost don't need to force it with Gibson just because there's been such a preponderance of negative news with him that even this Robinson situation doesn't seem to be um, saving his uh, his image with, with fantasy managers. So, like, I'd feel comfortable taking him somewhere in the sixth and uh, might actually target him and, and kind of have some regret that I didn't do that earlier in a, a basketball when I had the opportunity um, like you, you said it, John, I mean, here's this guy who is as big and as fast as Jonathan Taylor, who has the pass catching background that we like as a former college receiver who scored double digit touchdowns his first two years in the league, who's tough enough to have played with a, a crack in his shin bone last year. And like everyone's running away from him, like just, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here on the Antonio Gibson bandwagon, reading a magazine as, as people run past me to get to the exit. And, um, you know, like that was even before the, the Robinson shooting. Like I was like, OK, if people are g- going to let me grab him in the eighth or ninth round, I'll, I'll take him and just kind of make the bet on talent. Like, obviously, Rivera has some issues with the fumbling problem, and I get it. Um, but with a lot of guys like uh, Tiki Barber early in his career fumbles were a problem until they weren't and um you know john as a packer fan you and i know that like Devonte adams has had a huge drops problem his first couple of years in the league like i don't think it's one of those chronic things that like never goes away for most guys there's some guys there's the uh who was the the giants guy wilson who uh fumbled uh, his Ad- way out of the league was it adrian wilson uh oh, man i'm da- was it david wilson david, david wilson, wilson. wilson. yes yeah. thank you sorry i, I was guessing that up not knowing the name and potentially making all three of us look bad but you saved the day john so uh, like i don't know I'm, I'm still kind of in on antonio gibson and now with the speculation that robinson might not be back till like late october at the earliest uh maybe november and then it's probably going to need some time to get his stamina back up and and work back in with a, a reduced snap count I'm feeling pretty confident about grabbing Gibson, uh, you know, at his still depressed ADP. I think we are in the exact situation we were last year. Whenever through week 12, my, while McKissick was healthy, that's when McKissick actually outsnapped Antonio Gibson 70 to 1 on third down in that stretch. Also, remember that the last two years and 25 appearances with Gibson, McKissick has averaged five and a half targets per game. So I think we're back in that same exact spot where I don't think Gibson's going to earn this pass catching role since that's what McKissick does 
quite well and arguably better at him, better than him. And thus that leads me to be much higher on McKissick and have PPR and PPR leagues. But like you said, Pat, Gibson in the seventh round really isn't stretching. It really hasn't budged from where his ADP was initially all too much, whether it be underdog or home league. So I'm totally fine still now on taking a chance on Gibson, knowing he'll still have that role, albeit not the role we wanted for him. But remember, he was a third round pick last year, whereas now we get that role for the seventh round pick. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would just add that you're looking at the splits for with Gibson with McKissick, and you're exactly right about the passing role. It's 4.4 targets per game without McKissick, 2.7 targets per game with McKissick for for uh, Gibson last year. However, 19 touches for Gibson with McKissick, 18.2 touches without. So, you know, not a big difference in terms of total touches. And, you know, to get a player that has that sort of uh, floor in the sixth or seventh round, I think it's a, it, it's a good strategy. And it also adds, like, everybody knows that I'm on Chase Edmonds in the seventh round. In fact, a guy in my home league drafted him in the sixth round just to spite me, I think. But... <laughs> Um, this is another option there for owners in the sixth or the managers in the sixth or seventh round. If they miss out on Edmonds, you know, maybe you grab uh, Gibson instead. And we will discuss Chase Edmonds here in a bit. Moving on, though, to another situation that was somewhat shocking in the past 48 hours, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo having his contract restructured to still remain the league's highest paid backup, but more importantly, now he can reach up to $10 million in playing time incentives. Thus, if he doesn't play, the team doesn't have to pay him that amount. And more importantly, he is now tradable, whereas his previous contract prior to getting restructured, no one was going to ever bite the bullet on that whatsoever. And so where do you stand now, Paulson, in your rankings uh, and your confidence level in Trey Lance starting all year? I don't think this was has too much of an impact on him, other than the fact that if they do get off to a slow start, you know, maybe they go one and three or one and four and he's struggling, uh, the chances that they might pull him for Jimmy G to sort of save the season, those obviously go up because Jimmy G's on the roster. I mean, the fact that he might, uh, they have a competent backup quarterback there um, certainly makes it more likely that that might happen. I think that's there's a small chance of that happening. It seems like everything is pointed to them moving on uh, this offseason and uh, they're ready for the Trey Lance era to begin. Pat, I know you have some thoughts on Trey Lance and the situation. Why don't you go ahead and the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, this um, the re-signing of Jimmy G has me so panicked that I dropped Lance from 8th to ninth behind Russell Wilson. Um, just, like, I find it kind of amusing that people think Jimmy G poses this existential threat to Lance's season when... Uh, the 49ers like were willing to to throw around multiple first round draft picks to acquire Jimmy G's successor. Um, and like, and I know Lance has not had a great training camp or preseason. Um, you know, I, I, I think that like maybe that could happen, John, that they could bench him early if, if Lance was just such a disaster and maybe they think they could keep their championship window pride open uh, with, with Jimmy G at the helm if, if Lance is so bad early in the season. But I, I kind of don't think that's going to happen. And, like, I, I still think we should look at the potential upside here, that even if Lance is not very good as a passer and averages 190 passing yards and, and one touchdown pass a game, that there's still so much upside here because he's probably going to average something around 50 rushing yards a game and, and a, is a guy who could punch in six, seven, eight, nine touchdown runs this year. 
Like he's got that sort of rushing upside and the chance to be this year's Jalen Hurts. So, I mean, like in a lot of home leagues, he's going to slip because people are going to be panicky about this Jimmy G thing and, and lose their sleeper enthusiasm for Lance. But if every other league mate in a 12-team league has picked a quarterback and Lance is still sitting there on the board, please take Trey Lance. Like don't take Kirk Cousins. Like, if you take Kirk Cousins, you are going to be outscored at quarterback most weeks, despite this, you know, idea that uh, Kevin O'Connell is going to turn him into the new Kurt Warner leading the greatest show on turf. That's It's not going to happen. Kirk Cousins is an average quarterback and, and frankly, below average if it's on a big stage, as John knows. Um, so, like, take Lance. Go for the plausible upside. And if it is, in the unlikely uh, scenario that, that it is a disaster with him, you can drop him and, and get a, you know, stream the position. But you owe it to yourself to take that chance with Lance, especially now that the price is starting to drop a little. I do think he is a key to drafting this year because whereas I'm still more than comfortable and I'm literally waiting for the sixth, seventh round to draft either Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts, knowing they have QB overall one potential, in their range of outcomes, whereas I don't think the other players, Devonta Smith, Adam Thielen, Alan Lazard, list goes on in that range, are worthy of being drafted over those two individuals at quarterback. Uh, if I wait beyond then, because someone slips a wide receiver, a Chase Edmonds, that for some reason we know our projections and the situation we are higher on than the rest of our league mates, that's when I then wait, knowing I can grab Trey Lance a round or two later. So I think he is a key piece, whether I move him up or down, because of this news, isn't the big picture answer, right? And so that's why I still am very high on him in the eighth, ninth round, trying to be ahead at least one full round of my league mates when drafting him. Another surprising release, surprising news moment from cutdown day is that if we haven't already talked about Damian Pierce enough over the last two weeks, we've now seen Paulson, that Marlon Mack was outright released, re-signed with the team's practice squad. That doesn't matter. What they really showed us is that they were more than willing to waive him and uh, let him go if he signed elsewhere because they are apparently comfortable with Damian Pierce and Rex Burkhead and Royce Freeman to whatever extent the other two play behind the rookie. Does Pierce now move any higher for you than what you already had moved him the week prior? Yeah, I moved him up a little bit. I'm a little slow on Pierce. I'm not jumping all over him. I think uh, I moved him from 38 to 32 or 36 to 32, something like that. I think I might have him at 32 right now and a half PPR. Um, you know, I'm fine with him. I, I'm obviously targeting different running backs at that range in the draft. Um, but if I end up with him, I'd be okay. This is just one of those running games that I don't want a big part of. And it's not like he's going to be a three down back with, uh, Rex Burkhead there and you know people laugh at that statement maybe but Rex Burkhead is a competent uh, passing down back and has been a pretty good runner of the football as well um, and this offensive line's not good at all uh, the thing that is working in Pierce's favor is that he is a tackle breaker which he's going to have to be and he is does what I've seen it looks like he's pretty improvisational and uh, with being able to uh, make a guy miss when he's you know met in the backfield so uh, he's going to need that behind this uh, Texans offensive line, but I just don't think there's going to be a lot of rushing touchdowns here unless he is just way better than his you know, draft capital uh, in terms of real-world draft capital and uh, is able to just turn this uh, running game around on his own. It doesn't seem like that's the case. Uh, but as a RB3, RB4, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's not, he's not a player that I'm targeting, though. 
where do you stand after the three-week run that Pierce had, Pat? I have got him, I'm a little more bullish than John, maybe 26th or 27th. Um, just because of the opportunity. And that's the thing. If you look at hit rates for fourth-round running backs, it's terrible. But how often do fourth-round running backs walk into situations as good as this one? And the Marlon Mack, like every time we think it can't get any better, something else happens, and and now Marlon Mack is out of the way. So, uh, Daigle, you and I were in a draft last week where Pierce went 43rd overall, and it was a super flex draft. I mean, that's like... I, I don't know if he gets that high in every draft. I, I kind of hope not. Um, but, like, there's some major helium here with his uh, ADP. And I can understand it. Like, the, the opportunity is good. But as John points out, it's not going to be in a great offense. Um, you know, like, I think we'd probably be happy to get seven touchdowns out of him this year. But the, the more realistic number is probably something like four or five. Um, but, you know, if he is getting reliably 15 touches a game and that's the thing like everyone was kind of rosy about his outlook even there were truthers even right after he got drafted but now that we know he's probably going to get be getting enough touches every week that you can justify justify starting him in your rb2 or flex spot um like that's a big difference maker so i think now you can justify taking him in the the sixth round or so perhaps. Maybe not 43rd overall in a super flex league, but um, this is a guy you can start in week one. I recently saw him at an FFPC main event, so $2,000 entry league going the fourth round in that tear breaker range before Brees Hall even went. And then of course, uh, before J.K. Dobbins, Elijah Mitchell, A.J. Dillon, that range is, that has been shoved up now because no one wants to take Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, those players. And I do think Pierce offers more confident weekly RB2 value, RB2 touches, than a Brees Hall, than a J.K. Dobbins. Uh, we'll talk about those in a second. But overall, it's still a matter of coming down to asking what your ceiling is, what his ceiling is in the range of players that are still existing in your league whenever you walk up to draft him. Fortunately on Yahoo, on Sleeper, I've done enough leagues now throughout the offseason in the past couple weeks that he's still buried, especially on Sleeper. You have to scroll down quite a bit to star him just to remember to draft him ahead of everyone. And so it is possible to get him at a value if your league hasn't been paying attention, especially in the last week of the preseason. But overall, it is high capital. And I'm not saying... Paulson, that I don't want to use it because I think he should be jammed into the dead zone range along with Dylan Hall, those players. But at the same time, uh, I do want to make sure I look around and ask, is he the highest ceiling possible here? Or is there still that tier two of wide receivers who fell down the board? Because, uh, of course, Simone Ross St. Brown, of course, Allen Robinson could easily outscore Pierce and be much more valuable in my flex position. Yeah, I... According to fantasymojo.com, excellent site that compiles FFPC uh, data, um, he's at 6-1 now, ahead of Cam Akers, David Montgomery, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Edmonds, uh, Tony Pollard, and Elijah Mitchell. Uh, so he's moved ahead of all those guys who have, I would say, except for Pollard, um, seems seem to have at least have the lead in their backfields, you know, pretty much guaranteed, if not... Uh, bell cow type stuff with with david montgomery and um perhaps uh mitchell so uh to me it's a little pricey given the that offense um i mean i'd much rather have like an elijah mitchell who's going our full round later um 
than than appears. But uh, that's me. Elijah Mitchell, too, because no other 49ers running back was able to separate themselves as someone who can compete for that backfield during the entire preseason while Elijah Mitchell was still sidelined. So great news for Elijah Mitchell in that zone. Another running back piece of information is that Ty Montgomery was actually carted off while rotating in drives with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris in the team's final preseason game when their offense looked just a disaster, but that's not the point here. The point is, Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris continue catching steam, Stevenson in particular. Uh, Pat, let's start with you on this one. Where do you now have Stevenson ranked in the final weekend of regular season drafts? Oh boy, he's right there with Damian Pierce. I think he's one spot ahead of Damian Pierce. So 25 or 26 at running back. And um, like he's been a guy I have gotten in a lot of best balls and a lot of early drafts. And uh, now he's probably getting priced out of my range in a lot of leagues. I, I find that, you know, just before I can pull the trigger, he's going. So um, th- this certainly helps him because he has a, a pass-catching skill set, kind of strange for a guy who I think in college played as big as like 250 pounds, but he does have like nifty feet and soft hands. So he could be that guy. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they do want him to be their passing down back or if they try to get Pierre Strong into that role. And I think now in, in deeper leagues, maybe Strong becomes a late round possibility. Um, have to be a pretty deep league though. Uh, so yeah, I like Stevenson to begin with, but now I think everyone likes Stevenson, which is the, the big problem. And that's how I've been handling it, Paulson, is all offseason, just taking the one at the discount, knowing it's an ambiguous situation, especially after Damian Harris was the one used for 30-plus touches inside the 10 last year, not Ramondre Stevenson. And now what's happened is that Damian Harrison is the screaming value compared to Stevenson. Yeah, I was going to mention that he's going in the ninth round now. Uh, and it just it basically has flipped with with Stevenson, and that's understandable to a degree. I, I mentioned earlier when one player in the backfield rises, another one tends to drop. But uh, in this situation, you've got a player who in Harris, who was the RB thirteen last year, scored a ton of touchdowns, and he's not he he could be used on passing downs as well. Bill Belichick, everything's lost. You know, the thing that's lost on the Bill Belichick talking about Stevenson's passing pass catching is that he said basically the same thing about Harris, is that they, they're they looking at all three downs for both of those players there. And when they were playing in the preseason, those those players were getting series and were in on third down, just kind of rotating series by series, not by uh, what down, which is a little different than what they've been doing in the past. I think the one concern with New England, though, is that this offense has struggled in the preseason, and mm-hmm. we don't know what we're going to get out of it. I mean, are they going to have... 10, 15 rushing touchdowns this year, like they did last year or whatever it was. Uh, you know, Harris had 15, I think, on his own. Um, but are they, is this offense going to take a step back? They don't have a true offensive mind as an offensive coordinator. Uh, they're tag teaming that that role. And it, so far, it doesn't look like to be they're having much success with it. Um, you know, I, I have confidence in Bill Belichick to sort of right the ship, but it might be a, a slow September. It could be a slow September for both these players, but I think. Um, they both have some upside in PPR formats with with Montgomery sideline because he was looking like he might be that third down James White type player for them. One can definitely get there. I still want to remind everyone, though, that we have literally a decade of evidence since 2011 under Bill Belichick with the Patriots where none of their running backs yet in that span decade-long span, have handled at least 45% of the team's carries and seen a 5% target share. It has always been a committee, and that's what I still want to bet on, is literally a decade of evidence over 
the passion of one individual of Ramondre Stevenson. So I will keep taking the dip and whomever it happens to. And again, right now, that's Damian Harris. You, Paulson, though, wanted to talk about the Dolphins' backfield in particular, the Patriots' opponents in Week 1, and I think it's relevant now to discuss it since Sony Michelle was surprisingly released on cut day. So your thoughts on Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert there? Yeah, I mean, I, after, the, after that cut was made, I was a little bit surprised by it because it looked like Michelle – you know, even though he wasn't having a, you know, a great preseason, we saw he had 900 something total yards last year. Uh, he's not an old guy. I know his knees are a little bit older than he is. Uh, but it was really shaping up to look like he was a threat, at least for the goal line work there. He's definitely the biggest body that they had in that backfield. And now they got a bunch of 205 pound guys and 199 pound guy. And so I, I do think that the Michelle, uh, being released affects Edmonds in terms of his floor and and his ceiling because there's a real chance that he's the could be the goal line back. You know, it's, you know, Mostert is not a bigger player than he is. So if um, if they do a run a committee, it, it's fine. Uh, I think because uh, Edmonds is going to see the vast majority of the catches. That's not Mostert's game. Mostert has great speed. Uh, he's definitely capable of taking 10, 12 carries. You know, out of the backfield. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing Edmonds play a lot uh, with uh, Tua and look, looking pretty good and uh, catching a lot of passes from him. So, you know, I, I'm still very bullish on this. And I do think that touchdown upside uh, is significantly higher now that Michelle's out of the way. Uh, I just didn't agree with that analysis that it didn't matter. I think it does matter when, you know, a player that they uh, the, the third player they brought in in a free agency who had been a factor uh, other places, you know, is, is released. I think that shows some confidence either and their goal line situation or, uh, you know, Miles Gaskin, Sullivan Ahmed as their uh, three and four guys. Edmonds, Pat, has nine career rushing touchdowns through four seasons and only six career carries inside the five-yard line. I think it matters that Sonny Michelle was released a lot because it now dwindles down a situation, basically only allowing two players to be the goal line back as opposed to three, and more importantly, the one we, we sort of favored it. Yeah, same. I've been very slow to the chase. Edmonds party. I had him ranked in wide or uh, running back three range all off season, and I've I finally got him. It's like a, a lo- lower end running back too. Um, I I think like all signs do point that way. Pretty much every off season development or training camp uh, preseason development has been favorable for him. He's sort of the anti Antonio Gibson, whereas Gibson had all this negative momentum. Everything has sort of been building toward. Uh, a bigger role for Chase Edmonds in what I initially thought was going to be an extremely murky backfield. And like, I think even if uh, Raheem Mostert beats the odds and, and plays more than 12 games or so, like I, I still think Edmonds is going to get a healthy enough dose of work that he's going to be the guy you want in there and can start um, week in and week out in, in, in offense that we think I mean, as much firepower as there is at wide receiver for the Dolphins, like you, you have to think that with McDaniel coming from San Francisco, he's going to want to run the ball. And I feel like uh, Edmonds is the guy who probably gives them the best chance to uh, consistently establish the run, as they say. And the last bit of news from the final preseason game is one that admittedly threw me for a loop because what we saw from David Montgomery was him playing 
20 of 22 first string snaps with Justin Fields. Khalil Herbert, who was injured in the game prior in week two of the preseason, wasn't inactive. He was available in this game, and he stepped in for those two snaps literally just to relieve Montgomery, with Montgomery also getting all three third down snaps on passing downs in particular. So, Paulson, does this move the rankings for you for Montgomery, who, again, sits in that dead zone, or in the the spot between before like the tier drops off to Elijah Mitchell range. Yeah, I mean head, heading into this offseason I th- I thought that David Montgomery you know f- late 4th 5th round ADP was a really nice value given the fact that he had averaged 20 plus touches in back-to-back seasons and as you know I follow the touches when it comes to my running back rankings and um, you know, even though that the Bears are going to not be very good in terms of the offense and number of touchdowns scored and the offensive line stinks and all that, you still, if you're getting 20 plus touches, it's hard not to uh, produce fantasy starter type numbers. So, uh, as the, I was not, he was not, I just kept avoiding him when, you know, in those rounds, I was, there's always a receiver on the board I'd way rather have than David Montgomery. Uh, he's been kind of sliding into that fifth, sixth, sometimes seventh round especially on the heels of this Khalil Herbert discussion that they were going to do more of a committee. But, you know, he did some work with the Montgomery, did some work with the uh, special teams for briefly. Uh, but as you mentioned, this last uh, preseason game played 20 of 22 snaps with Justin Fields, which indicates that he's kind of back in his primetime role. So I I did ratchet down his projection, but he didn't drop a lot in the rankings because he there was a there was a distance there between him and the next player or two. So um, you know, I have a problem with the next guy, Travis Etienne, and you know AJ Dillon's in a timeshare below him. So it's not like uh, any of these guys are are really nipping at his heels from a workload standpoint. So um, he's not a guy that I've been targeting. Um, and at this point, it just sort of depends on where he falls in the draft, if, and if I need a running back. Uh, I do think that at this point, it looks like he's going to see that eighteen to twenty touch per game uh, floor, which is is nice to have, even in a bad offense. And I would argue, Pat, that Montgomery's ceiling, whatever that may be, is still available in home leagues. He typically doesn't budge from the fifth round, same as FFPC leagues, whereas, like Paulson mentioned, ETN, I would argue the ceiling, the juice is squeezed out of ETN because he goes at the second, third round turn pretty consistently in FFPC leagues, whereas home leagues, like that's a player that usually dips two rounds later. Right. And um, you and I saw this in our draft last week where uh, this was a draft in Chicago with a bunch of Chicago area guys and no one like Montgomery was a hot potato in this draft. I think he wound up going, what, running back 22 or 23. And um, like, it's interesting, John mentioned A.J. Dillon. So like, I'm definitely drafting Travis Etienne ahead of David Montgomery, but I've been debating the Montgomery versus Dillon thing for a while now. And like, I, when, when there was a question about Montgomery's role and whether this new regime was committed to using him in something close to the role he had last year, I think you had to go with Montgomery over Dillon. Um, but, you know, when there was some ambiguity and, and maybe the possibility that Khalil Herbert was going to get a, a fairly significant role and maybe it was going to be 60-40 or 55-45, um, you know, then you want Dillon because he's in a much better offense the Bears offensive line might be the worst in the league and they're not going to score many touchdowns. But as John said, if, if Montgomery's getting that heavy usage, he's still a worthwhile asset. 
So it's just the the signals have been so mixed. I mean, he was like doing some special teams work a few weeks ago. Now all of a sudden he's getting this massive percentage of snaps with the first team. So really mixed signals here. I think I've got him back up at like running back 17 or 18. Um, but man, he's in all honesty, like in, in my upcoming drafts, he's a guy I'm kind of drafting around. I completely agree. He makes for an interesting argument, especially now that if you wait a couple rounds, you get Chase Edmonds again, who we're higher on, and Antonio Gibson, who is slipping in home league still, but we know is now boosting up for, as we mentioned, his role from last year. A couple quick hitters before we get out of here, and we'll definitely discuss all of these more in depth before week one, because matchups is where these fallouts are more important. But Kenyon Drake was signed to Baltimore's backfield alongside Mike Davis as an ominous sign that J.K. Dobbins doesn't really appear ready to go for week one. The team, of course, also released rookie Tyler Beatty, even though they re-signed him to the practice squad. But right now, it seems like a toss-up, Paulson, between Kenyon Drake, Mike Davis. Last round today, you're in a, a deep league, two flexes, let's say. You know someone wants to draft one of them. Do you have a preference? Yeah, actually, Adam Hutchinson was asking our injury guy. He and I are chatting pretty regularly now because trying to figure out how long these players are going to be out with injury, and et cetera. And uh, he was asking about this. Does this change Mike, Mike Davis's outlook? And it certainly does. I mean, if you look at the, you know, PFF grades are just one piece of the puzzle. But I, I just looked up uh, Drake's rushing grade, his receiving grade, and his pass blocking grade, and they were all well ahead of Mike Davis's last year. Uh, so according to PFF, he's still a much better player. You know, watching Drake in in uh, in Las Vegas, it, he just hasn't looked like he he was the explosive player that we saw for a stretch there in Arizona. So I just don't know. I don't. I feel like he might have lost a step. Um, but I think in this situation, if we've seen what Baltimore does, uh, if if they are going to bring Dobbins along slowly, or if he's not going to be active week one or in September or something like that, they could very well like ride uh, Drake if he's getting going at all. And because uh, he is a you know a pretty good pass catcher as well, even though they don't use uh, running backs in the passing game too much, um, he could get you three or four starts in September before Dobbins comes back. And I think in that situation, that's Dobbins and Drake uh, before Edwards comes back. I think Davis is probably the fact that they had him and they brought Drake in. I think that indicates they're looking to upgrade on on Davis, and I think Drake is an upgrade on Davis. Any other preferences for you there, Pat? Drake for Davis over me, although I do have this uh, nagging worry that like maybe Davis is a, a better stylistic fit for the Ravens as like the more maybe a more physical type of runner. Um, I, like I do think Drake's the better guy, um, you know, and as uh, I, I don't know if any of the Justice Hill truthers out there have any hope left, uh, but uh, I don't know. It's such a messy situation, but like it gives Drake a little bit of hope. Um, you know, maybe he could be a viable play in the first month or so of the season until Dobbins gets rolling. And Justice Hill does remain on the active roster. Uh, let's actually, I mentioned quick hits, but let's stop down for this one really quick too, because Paulson, the Broncos cut their blocking tight end, Eric Tomlinson and moved rookie Greg Dulcich to IR for the first four games guaranteed, which tells us that if Alberto isn't on the field for basically every snap, that's an Alberto problem, not a coaching staff problem. I, Alberto has been, uh, I don't know, it, this has been wild watching him I, this offseason. I mean, I was so excited about the breakout early this summer. He's getting the 
you know, the, all the snaps with Noah Fant moving on and getting a quarterback upgrade with Russell Wilson. And then there was the, oh, Russell Wilson doesn't throw to his tight ends except for Jimmy Graham, who is very much like Albert O in, in physically. Um, and Albert O might be, even be faster. I think he is. Uh, to a point where, you know, oh, Greg Dolchich, they love him. They want him to be the guy. And all of a sudden, Albert O has these warts and he does, he's not looking like a breakout. And then you get into the preseason and he's playing in the fourth quarter. And the head coach says, yeah, he needs reps. And so now we're like all-time low on Alberto. He's dropping even further in drafts. Uh, you can get him in the 12th, 13th, 14th round, uh, whereas he was kind of pushing the top 10 round status earlier in the summer. And all of a sudden now he sits out the last pre- uh, preseason game, which shows that they saw what they needed to see from him. He, uh, quote-unquote, doesn't need reps anymore, apparently. And... They put Dolchich on uh, IR, which means he's going to miss at least the first four games with a hamstring injury. He's going to be behind. He's a rookie. We know rookie tight ends don't produce in fantasy anyway, uh, generally speaking. Uh, Kyle Pitts was the exam- uh, the exception to that rule. Uh, so I think, you know, Alberto has a chance now uh, to start to play 80% plus the snaps. He's a good receiver. He was number six in yards per route run last year. He was number eight as a rookie, but didn't have enough targets to qualify uh, PFF. So two two straight years of showing really high efficiency on his routes, getting open, earning yards. And he's playing with a good quarterback. Tim Patrick is out uh, for the year. So we have a, you know re- more red zone opportunities, more touchdowns opportunities available because Patrick was a touchdown catcher for them. So I'm getting back on board with the Albert O uh, breakout season. Let's go. What do you say, Pat? Yeah, I'm never going to fall out of love with uh, a tight end who has that sort of athleticism and those sorts of measurables. Like, uh, you know, John, like uh, we were DMing earlier today about David Njoku, who's like, let me down more times than I I care to count. Um, And, you know, I I still want to get back on him. So I'm with you. My enthusiasm. It's it's been a roller coaster a couple of weeks here with Albert O. But uh, yeah, let's ride. Alberto went from one of my favorite late round tight ends to prioritize to me holding the bag to (laughs) back in good graces. And even if this means uh, I was lucky, not right, I'm fine with that. I'll gladly backdoor win any way I can. Uh, Now, quick hits that we'll talk about more in depth ahead of week one next week when the regular season pod schedule commences. Russell Gage, questionable for week one. Pretty huge considering we also don't expect Chris Godwin to be a full-time player. More on that next week when we talk about rankings. David Njoku, who you mentioned, Pat, 39-42 first string snaps this preseason. A real and legitimate chance he leads the Browns in targets as, like Albert O, one of my favorite late-round tight ends throughout the summer. And then, of course, we saw my other late-round favorite Mo Alley Cox play all 13 first string snaps with Matt Ryan. Those are the three guys that tied in. I'm prioritizing. And that I think wraps up the preseason news that we've received over the last month. Anything that I might've missed, remember go to four, com and check out Paulson's rankings change log that will continue to be updated throughout the holiday. Let's take a quick break and come right back with our final draft strategy thoughts for the 2022 season. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. 
and there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app. Use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto. The holiday weekend will be the heaviest fantasy football draft weekend of the entire year. That's why I think it's important we all go around the table and discuss after after we've all took part in our own fantasy drafts over the last month, what we think are the most important strategies to know before everyone enters their draft. And I actually want to start off, Pat, because the question I've received the most and the conundrum I have run into the most in the last month is, what do you do with the fifth overall pick once JT, CMC, Cooper Cup, and Justin Jefferson off the board? Because then you can the world is your oyster. You can go Jamar Chase or Stephon Diggs, or you can go Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, another running back of your choice. Uh, it seems to be a popular question. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts, what you were doing personally with the fifth overall pick, knowing that those top four players are the first four players taken. Yeah, I'm glad uh, you asked this. And it leads nicely to something that I've been emphasizing with a lot of my followers and a lot of Fantasy Pro subscribers. And it's that the difference between whether you are required to start two wide receivers every week and three wide receivers every week is so massive. Like if, if you, there's this misconception that wide receiver is really deep. And maybe it is if you only have to start two every week. But if you have to start three wide receivers every week in a 12-team league and they're going to be 36 wideouts plus however many flex guys, suddenly you'll find that the wide receiver position is not nearly as deep as maybe you thought it was in draft season when you're trying to shoehorn uh, you know, Jarvis Landry in your starting lineup every week. And so that matters a lot and if it's a three wide receiver league i am taking chase there snap call no hesitation whatsoever um he's still in play for me in a two wide receiver league although then it's a tougher call i think for me between chase and dalvin cook and what i like about three wide receiver leagues in particular paulson is that i'm not even saying drafting chase or digs there is correct at fifth overall over austin eckler dalvin cook whomever else but it does give you ways to backdoor different lineups. Like you can still set yourself up for an anchor RB build with Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, or Alvin Kamara. If they happen to fall, not if the back end of the draft is RB heavy, you know your league mates better than we do, but you can still backdoor an anchor RB build, even if it means reaching a few spots for Leonard Fournette and then continue hammering wide receiver from that point forward through the sixth, seventh round. What are your thoughts at the fifth overall pick? Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum with the, you know, pick five through pick seven, like who do you, which way do you go there? And I think for me, the second round receivers that are available mid-second to late second, and I'm talking about Debo Samuel, uh, Tyreek Hill, uh, Mike Evans. I'm, I'm a little leery about using second round draft capital on those guys, uh, just given their respective situations as, you know, quarterback change team change. Uh, Mike Evans looked like he was going to see a ton of targets. We don't know now with Godwin, you know, likely back early and uh, Julio Jones in there. So what I don't, what I feel a little uncomfortable with is drafting an Eckler, not that I don't like Eckler or Henry at five and then coming back and like, who am I taking in the second round? I have been trying to go hero RB, anchor RB, whatever your phrase is for it. So I don't really want to start running back, running back, although it's okay, um, because that leaves me behind either at tight end or receiver. 
Um, it's still sort of doable, you know, maybe a pitch in the third after two running backs, and then you hit receiver starting in the fourth. Uh, but you're as as Pat mentioned, the number of receivers that you're starting is is key there because you're you know wanting to go receiver for probably four straight rounds in that situation. And there are good receivers into the seventh round, but I think the drop off at receiver is sixth. So I'm trying to go hero. Uh, I'd probably be more inclined in that situation to draft a receiver uh, in that first round. You know, targeting Aaron Jones in the middle of the second round, somebody like that. Maybe get a Pitts in the third, and then go receiver. Uh, for three straight rounds there, four, five, and six, uh, to, to round out a four-player uh, four receiving core that's going to be really strong. I mean, you might have, you know, Adam Thielen as your fourth fourth receiver, who was the number seven fantasy uh, receiver before he got injured last year in week 12. So um, that's sort of where I'm going, and then I'm trying to to turn that around into, week, uh, into round seven with Chase Edmonds as my RB2. And uh, usually that works out. And I will just note for everyone that we're playing odds because I do think you can definitely get away and still have a strong start and team with an RB RB start from the middle in three wide receiver starting leagues. But you start playing with fire at that point because even in the next 15 receivers, right, all being the same guys, like from Amon Ross St. Brown to Mike Evans, who's to say Mike Evans outscores Amon Ross St. Brown? Uh it's possible, though, not to get one of those like 15 guys as your starter, as your wide receiver three. And then you get into the Michael Thomas, Adam Thielen, Devonta Smith range, which I'm fine with, but it's not as strong as the other guys up front if you start RBRB. So I would just play the odds correctly. And again, you know your leagues better than we do. Pat, what about your first draft strategy thought? Um, can I just piggyback on something you were just saying, John, about that RBRB start? Um, and, and maybe this can kind of segue into the other point I was going to make about draft strategy. So if you do that, then you are really beholden to catching up at uh, wide receiver. Like, you have to play catch up. And the, the poll for me t- this year to take um, either a luxury tight end or a luxury quarterback is as strong as I've felt it in a long time. And, um, you know, I I feel like I want one of those things. And generally my strategy is that, you know, it's okay to take either a luxury tight end or a luxury quarterback, but generally not both, because then you fall too far behind at either running back or wide receiver. And if, if you start running back, running back, man, it's going to cost you if you chase a luxury quarterback or a luxury tight end because you're going to be trying to play catch-up at wide receiver. And, uh, you know, if you you pause the game of catch-up to take one of those positions, you're going to fall hopelessly behind at wide receiver, I think, in a three-wide receiver league. So, um, but yeah, and, and but that is kind of a big tactical point for me. I generally don't like to take... Um, you know, an early wide res- or an early tight end and an early quarterback. There, there are leagues where you know, generally, I think in a draft, if if you see someone who takes a top three quarterback and a top three tight end, generally that person is not going to win that league. Uh, for the most part, I've I've always felt like that's one way to identify the sucker in the room. But um, you know, like I I am perfectly happy with going with one luxury guy at either of those positions i i I do think there's a way to do it um if you're looking at maybe a hertz or a kyler in the six i mean john you mentioned that earlier that's one of your targets right and if you maybe look at andrews in the second 
So let's build around the second and the sixth with two luxury picks. Those would be two luxury picks, I think. Not not top three, not a Josh Allen, but a Hertz in the sixth, Andrews in the second. You could draft a running back in the first, and then you're going receiver like a Pittman in the third, a McLaurin in the fourth, uh, DK Metcalf type, Bateman, I don't know, your St. Brown, pick your fifth, fifth round uh, player. And then, uh, you know, Chase Edmonds in the seventh. So you do have three good receivers there. Uh, and then maybe you're looking to round out your receiving core a little bit earlier, eighth, ninth. Like to me, the reason I am responding to that is because Tyler Lockett's going in the ninth round. Uh, easy to get him. Uh, I, I love Isaiah McKenzie in the like the 12th round, 11th, 12th round. I think he'll be a fantasy starter. Uh, you know, we we both have talked about Romeo Dobbs and DM. Is there upside there? Uh, maybe tenth, eleventh round. I think there is a way um, to to get some players later in the draft that are going to end up being starters for you. If you're okay with your fourth receiver, the guy that you're rotating in after when when your guys are on bye or if they're injured, your top three receivers. Uh, if you can find some upside there and some guys that might be emerging for breakout seasons. My only issue this may not be an issue but my only thought i keep coming back to when i draft like that is this is why kyler murray and jalen hurts are kind of at the forefront of my plan in the sixth seventh round and they go so close together that usually when you're in the middle if you skip that row you're gonna miss them both they won't come back to you uh but even though i if i start a running back in the first two rounds and then i start asking myself when do i want to avert the plan when do i want to grab my second running back i usually just end up waiting even longer than the chase edmonds and ramondre stevenson's of the world because i almost think it's like a fantasy football criminal to avoid the upside and potential winning and league winning potential at a onesie position of kyler murray and jalen hurts with the rushing upside than it is to avert the plan for a running back two we're higher on, like Chase Edmonds or Ramondre Stevenson. Like structurally, I don't want to do that. And so definitely if they fall to the next round, if I have one of Murray or Hertz, or as we talked about earlier, leaving Hertz and Murray on the board and waiting for Lance, that's that's when I like grabbing the RB2s. But I hate averting the plan of the middle rounds for an RB2 whenever, as you said, Pat, a luxury pick is still there. And we know we can get away with one if we do analyze them with high upside. Paulson, what about your your first draft strategy thought? Well, I mean, I kind of gone over it, you know, a, a few times in different podcasts and on the on the site, but I'm definitely taking sort of a hero RB approach and but I think this year you can get away with even a hero RB build in the third round with James Conner. Uh, I think he's going to get a lot of touches in Arizona. He's going at the end of the third round. You might even be able to get away with it with uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who's usually a top five fantasy pick, but he's going in the third, fourth round. I, I don't know about home leagues. I think that they're going to be a little bit higher on Zeke just from name recognition and maybe Connor as well. Um, but if you wanted to start wide receiver tight end, you could go Connor in the third and then back to your plan. But I think you need run, one running back in that those first three rounds. And then uh, you kind of ignore the position until Chase Edmonds in the seventh. You could go longer, like you said, John, and even just play running back two by committee and target guys like, you know, Daryl Henderson or Naeem Hines and hope that one eventually, you know, emerges uh, by injury or some other way. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with one anchor running back, Edmonds at the two, uh, uh, you know, a stud tight end like uh, Andrews and Pitts or Pitts, 
And then, uh, you know, three of those, four of those middle round receivers, that's a really appealing uh, build to me heading into the, maybe the eighth, ninth round when I'm, you know, starting to look at guys like Tyler Lockett to round up my receiving core. Your thoughts, Pat? Yeah, um, maybe I should walk back the thing I said about taking the two luck because really I don't consider if you can get them in the sixth or the seventh, I don't think Hertz and Kyler Murray are luxury picks at that point. I think they mm-hmm. are value picks. And that's big because, I mean, like I, I – have been increasingly finding myself taking either Andrews or Pitts in drafts. And, um, you know, if you can get one of the the top quarterbacks that late, that's great. But if I am going to do that and um, cut corners somewhere else, it's probably going to be, as you said, John, on the running back too. Like I'm willing to wait and just play it with some of the guys you mentioned, Uh, Tony Pollard or um, Naheem Hines or Daryl Henderson. Like those guys are – appealing options and if you can get like two three of those guys uh plus a couple late round dart throws i think you can make that work yeah i would add just add or shot penny to that list too like he's likely to get off to a strong start not the greatest offense but i mean I, rashad penny and damian pierce really aren't in that different of situations bad offenses we've, we've seen penny run the ball we know he's good i think the issue is walker you know kind of looming uh, coming off some set of uh, sports hernia injury or something like that. But, you know, Penny, Cordero Patterson's late, available late. Devin Singletary's been getting all the first round, uh, first uh, team reps pretty much in the preseason. And, of course, Damian Harris, we talked about him earlier. It was like a ninth-round pick. Those guys could serve as your RB2 if you wanted to punt that position, so to speak, and just sort of wait uh, and load up elsewhere. And the other player I want to mention is, is Aaron Rodgers. I, you know, I, I'm a Packer fan. He's the back-to-back MB, back back MVP. Uh, he's going QB 14 in some of these drafts. And if you don't get a Hertz or a Murray or even a Lance, John, um, he is so cheap for what he, his pr- history of production. And I don't think that the loss of Devontae Adams is going to hamstring him uh, as much as that draft capital or ADP would seem to indicate. So if you can add him in the 10th round, to a team that's got nine good players on it already, that's a pretty powerful start as well. And also to your point, Pat, we say do not avert the strategy for luxury picks. However, right now we've seen with the news shakeup in the last three, four days alone that I want to emphasize you should scroll down and cue and star Damian Pierce, Antonio Gibson, Chase Edmonds, J.D. McKissick, and to Paulson's point, Rashad Penny, because those are arguably the five biggest risers based on personnel situations. Ken Walker, Pete Carroll literally used the term uncharted territory for his hernia injury. If Ken Walker retired over the weekend, I don't think it'd be the most shocking thing that's ever come out of Seattle. So I'm worried about Ken Walker's like month, two month stretch to open his career, let alone week one. And thus we should be hammering Rashad Penny as an every touch running back, whether he's expected to lose a third down roll to Travis Homer or not. So yeah, those, those are players I definitely know I can get an ADP dip on hoping. And if my league mates are not as high on news as we are. Um, also when I say my next draft strategy thought is one that's going to burn my mentions, because when I say a birding strategy, common retort, for FFPC leagues, high stakes leagues in particular, but this also goes for home leagues, is that everyone's excited to get Patrick Mahomes at his lowest ADP ever. But I think 
the big picture argument, the big picture question people should be asking is, do you want Patrick Mahomes in the fourth, fifth round again whenever Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, and Trey Lance, who could easily outscore him with rushing upside alone, are available two to three rounds later? That's the argument you should be asking. And so I think averting the plan for Patrick Mahomes and again, let's say the fourth round of home leagues, third, fourth round, uh, I think that's more costly than it is helpful. And that's something I don't want to do at all. Paulson. Go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say that's a great point that everyone gets excited when Mahomes sometimes falls past, um, well, often past Justin Herbert. And he's sitting there much later than we're used to seeing Patrick Mahomes sitting there. And um, it, it does blind us to the fact that there probably is better value later on with, with Murray, Hertz, uh, or maybe even Lance. Yeah, I, and I would say that same argument could be made for Aaron Rodgers. I hate to beat a dead horse, but he's going as late as we've <laughs> ever seen him go, ninth, tenth round. Uh, if you want a really talented player, uh, he is one. And I, I think he'll be able to elevate the receivers that are on his team. Uh, really efficient offense as well, and you, nobody more experienced other than maybe Tom Brady. So um, that's my that's my second pitch for can, for Aaron Rodgers. Can I push back on John on that? A Packer fan pushing back and another Packers fan about yeah, Aaron Rodgers' enthusiasm. My only worry, John, is that like this is probably the best Packers defense we've seen since uh, Reggie White and Leroy Butler were roaming Lambeau Field. Like I just worry that the game scripts are not going to be good, and he doesn't have the the top receiver. Like it's not only the Devonte absence that's frightening me about Rodgers; it's the potential that the defense is so good that they're. Uh, playing in in positive game scripts too often for, I, I think we're going to see a lot of games where Aaron Rodgers is like nineteen for twenty four for you know two hundred and thirty yards and two touchdowns, you know, which is not great for fantasy. Well, uh, you know, and I, I guess maybe two pitches for uh, Rodgers was a bridge too far for Pat. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's understandable. I'm just looking at his last two seasons with Matt Lafleur. I mean. 4,300 yards, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions, 4,100 yards, 37 touchdowns, uh, four interceptions. And we do have, you know, you mentioned the defense, and I think that's a valid point. You might, they, they do play slow. So there are some situations where he might, you know, if they have a couple of rushing touchdowns, he's not throwing for any, and they still win the game. And, you know, he's got 170 yards, you know, passing, and that's not great. Uh, but, you know, maybe the defense isn't as good as we think it might be, and, or, he's just his normal self. I mean, he's a typical 30 plus touchdown guy, especially with Lafleur, And, uh, I think he'll, he's going to continue to, to play at a really high level. And, you know, we, if we didn't have splits that showed, um, either the same fantasy scoring or higher with Devante sidelined, um, then I would be a little bit more concerned, but he, I think he, this, there might be a benefit to him that getting him out of locking on, Adams and just reading the defense and taking and hitting the open man. I think that we might even see his his yards per attempt rise above his career average of 7.8 because he's able to maybe distribute the ball a little bit more instead of forcing it to his favorite guy. I do I do get I get the slow pace argument and I do get the uh this might be their best defense and since the uh, Reggie White years. Uh, and if, if that's the case and they're a shutdown defense, only have to score 14 points a game to win, then that certainly we're going to have to move on from Aaron Rodgers and, and maybe stream the position. But at the cost of a ninth or 10th round pick, it's not, uh, you're taking a risk and, and you're not, it's not a whole lot of, uh, on, uh, chips on the table. Like you can pivot from that to a, a streaming status strategy and be, and be okay. I think. 
I made the macro argument. I'll also say the micro argument no one really talks about is that whenever the Chiefs change their offense to respond to two eye safeties over the second half of the season from week seven on, Patrick Mahomes averaged just 18 and a half fantasy points per game, literally seven points fewer per week because they were a dump it off yak offense, which is what we expect them to be this year. Pat, your next draft strategy thought as we head into the weekend. Oh man. Um, I'm an old man and there used to be a time, John, when drafting uh, rookie wide receivers was kind of a sucker play, but I actually think rookie wide receivers have become a consistent value. And I think we're kind of poised to see that again with um, a little bit of the ambiguity we have with this rookie class and not knowing exactly which rookie wide receiver to grasp onto. But I think it's possible that a lot of them are values. Um, you know, I know Drake London is is dealing with the knee issue. With may, maybe that keeps his ADP in check enough to make him a very nice value for this weekend's drafters because London is poised to have a, a pretty big target share as really the only other dependable target other than Kyle Pitts in the Atlanta offense. And uh, Traylon Burks, who like Antonio Gibson, has encountered just you know one bit of bad news after another for much of the off-season, preseason training camp, but then looked really good in week three in the preseason. And, like, you know, I, I think maybe part of it is that um, it, it's just like an you know, old-school coaching thing where keeping the rookie in his place um, and, and, like, he's going to surprise us. Like, I think Burks is another guy who could be in line for a big target share, and I, I like Chris Olave a lot in New Orleans and think he could be um, a guy who pairs really well with Jameis Winston who likes to, uh, you know, throw those YOLO balls downfield. Um, a lot of these guys, maybe Alec Pierce surprises us for the Colts. Um, just kind of up and down the board, I think there's value with these rookie wide receivers. Jahan Dotson's another guy I really like. Everyone fell in love with Pickens, but Dotson has quietly had this terrific camp and preseason and is playing like all the snaps with the first team offense. So I don't think you want to load your shopping cart with like four of these guys, but I think they are readily available at a good price and are going to be values in a lot of home league drafts. Your thoughts on the rookie wide receivers since we're now done with the preseason, Paulson? Yeah, I would echo some of those thoughts. I mean, I I think Olave is interesting from the standpoint of do you think – I think his upside's there because do you think that Michael Thomas is fully back and is going to play a full season and be the Michael Thomas of old? And if you're betting against that, uh, then Olave, I think, is a prime candidate. He's going in the eighth, ninth round of fantasy drafts, I think, People are a little bit just, you know, a little worried justifiably about Jarvis Landry soaking up six or seven targets a game, et cetera. And Michael Thomas coming back to his 10 target role. But reportedly, Olave looks great in camp, has a nice rapport with Winston, as Pat mentioned. Uh, downfield threat is is excellent there uh, with uh, Winston and Olave, that connection. Um, I think he covered the, the players that are likely to start or to be playing three wide receiver sets. Uh, Dotson looks like he's going to be on two wide receiver sets. So he's going to play a lot of uh, snaps. Now his quarterback situation isn't great. And he's also competing with Terry McLaurin uh, for targets and Curtis Samuels back as well. Uh, so I, you know, I have him, you know, wide receiver 50, um, but it purportedly he looks great. I just think it's going to be a, a problem with consistent targets. And then uh, the only player he didn't mention, but we talked about him before is Romeo Dobbs. I, I do think that 
he finds his way into the starting lineup uh, sooner rather than later, just based on the steady drumbeat of positive news. Just one little hiccup there with a drop in practice or two drops in practice and Rodgers uh, calling him out or calling all the rookies out. And then apparently he's back. He was back to what he had been doing. And I, I don't think he's out of the starting lineup for too long, given the given the camp that he's had. But Pickens is a good call. He's probably going to be uh, finish higher than Claypool, I think, in, in receiving yards and targets. Uh, and then, you know, Garrett Wilson is sort of the wild card along with Sky Moore. Uh, Wilson, I don't know that he's even going to be playing in three receiver sets. Uh, it, it, he might be behind Berrios, obviously in the slot, because Berrios is a slot receiver and, and uh, Wilson isn't. And then is he behind, does he remain behind Corey Davis? Uh, Wilson's camp's been very up and down reportedly. Uh, we know Elijah Moore is Elijah Moore, and he's going to probably be the number one receiver there. Uh, and then Sky Moore is the other guy. Like we saw a lot of cool highlights of him carrying the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he's paired with one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the league, if not the best. Um, but he, you know, his playing time in the preseason has been wide receiver four, wide receiver five stuff. He might be behind McCole Hardman. Uh, he might be behind uh, Justin Watson. Uh, we don't, we just don't know. We uh, I like to bet on talent with Sky Moore because he looks like he's a really talented guy, uh, but the playing time uh, doesn't appear to be there at the start of the year. A lot of these guys are going to that maybe struggle in the first few weeks and might get cut. Uh, fantasy managers should be aware, maybe pick them up uh, because second half of the season is typically when these struggling rookies really start to shine. That's really the concern for redraft leagues is how long can you hold how long do you have the courage to hold Sky Moore? Uh, Garrett Wilson, who only played two first-string snaps in the preseason behind Braxton Berrios, who, remember, they gave a two-year $12 million deal to to be their efficient underneath slot receiver. And Chris Olave, boomer bust option, I think. Jalen Tolbert steps right into the role. But, yeah, redraft leagues, it's much harder to pin those guys than it is best ball, which is why we've been higher on them at dipping ADPs. Much tougher in redraft. Paulson, your final draft strategy before we head into the holiday of weekend drafts. Well, um, I've been writing my uh, you know last weekend final thoughts for the last draft weekend, and you know we we, we touched on Antonio Gibson, what to do with him. Uh, we touched on Damian Pierce, we touched on uh, Kenyon Drake, and we touched on um, Albert O. And uh, maybe the two situations that we just want to touch on: uh, Michael Carter, perhaps still the starter in with the Jets, which is surprising. I think everybody in the fantasy community thought that Brees Hall would have this job won by now, clearly, given the draft capital that the Jets used. But he has struggled at camp. Um, however, the last week or so, you know, splitting first-team reps with Carter, that's, this looks like it's going to be what we saw last year. They cut Tevin, Tevin Coleman, but it might just be a, a 1A, 1A, 1B situation, and Carter might be the starter. And in which case he's the better value. There's about 89 pick difference right now, seven rounds between Brees Hall and Carter. Now Hall could win the job as the season goes on, but I think Carter's pretty good. So, I mean, we'll see what happens there. And the other situation, Chris Godwin, Michael Gallup coming back from ACLs, we thought that they might be on pop and miss the first month of the season, at least maybe come back mid season. They're both ahead of schedule. Uh, Godwin is suddenly looking like a great value in the fifth round. Uh, he's, you know, he's in the sixth round sometimes that, that five, six turn a lot. And then Gallup really is an afterthought in a lot of these drafts. I mean, he's still on the board in a couple of my drafts in the well into the double digit rounds. And, you know, he averaged 57 yards, uh, with Dak Prescott 
in 14 games over the past two seasons, along with two point or point two one touchdowns, two point seven catches, and that was that was being the third receiver, third option in that in that offense. And now with Amari Cooper gone, uh, once Gallup is up to speed, uh, he should be the number two option there, and maybe in- increase those numbers to maybe instead of three point seven for fifty seven, maybe we get a four point seven for for 60, uh, 68, 69 yards, maybe you get another quarter of a touchdown, something like that, uh, and he's a fantasy starter. Uh, these are players that can help you in the second half of your seasons, especially uh, Godwin and Gallup, because they are going to be over those uh, knee injuries. And uh, by you know by November, by December, they should be posting really good numbers. Your thoughts, Pat? Um, yeah, so I have been scooping up Godwin a lot lately. And uh, maybe this is too narrative-driven, but I feel like with these issues the Buccaneers are having in the middle of the offensive line, that once Godwin gets out there for more than partial snaps, he's going to be really valuable because Brady is going to want to find him on those quick hitters. I'm much more worried about how the Buccaneers' offensive line problems affect Mike Evans and his 13-yard average depth of target from last year. Like, you need time to be able to, to get that. And, you know, Brady does not like pressure up the middle. And these uh, injury issues and, and defections and retirements they've had with the middle of the offensive line, I think, could be problematic, but not so much for, for Godwin. And um, so, yeah, like his ADP is not recovered yet. So I've, I've been scooping him up a lot. And I think John makes some good points with some of these other guys, um, you know, Gallup a value now, too, in the later rounds. I have personally also been considering Godwin in the Amon Ross State Brown tier around or ahead of Michael Thomas, knowing that, sure, maybe not a full-time player uh, in the first month of the season, but someone that honestly, if he was healthy, would probably be getting drafted around Mike Evans's range right now. So it's a discount I'm willing to ride. Uh, and just make sure you keep an eye on those players, like an Isaiah McKenzie as well, who we think we can use for a little bit of time as bridges, as building blocks to our contingency values on our bench. Rondell Moore was like my favorite in the first six weeks, especially because the Cardinals open with three 50-plus point totals in Vegas Sportsbook for the first three weeks. And Moore, we think, has that starting slot role for the first six games. But now, as we'll talk about beginning next week, Rondell Moore's battling an injury and may not even be available for week one. So now we get into the matchup analysis part of the regular season. Pat, until then, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, people can get me at fantasypros.com. They can find me on the Fitz on Fantasy Podcast every week and on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Uh, Paulson, always great to see you again, my friend. Uh, Daigle, great to see you too, buddy, and look forward to catch uh, teeing it up in a couple weeks, even though I couldn't find a fair way with the seeing eye dog. Um, you know, we'll, we'll still go out there and have some fun. Paulson, any final thoughts? Uh, just we have breaking news that uh, Trey Sermon was cut about six minutes ago, reported by Field Yates. So, which is an interesting. I don't know if you, either one of you want to comment on that, but that he had a pretty good preseason. Uh, but you know, showing confidence in Elijah Mitchell, and obviously they, you know, they got a couple Jeff Wilson, and they got the rookie there. So uh, maybe a little bump for them as well. Uh, as far as you know, my latest article will be up soon. It's the final draw uh, thoughts for the last draft weekend. And that's my last uh, article prior to the uh, season starting. And um, we should be, have that up hopefully by tomorrow afternoon. And remember, regular season team app schedule beginning next week, including a waiver wire pod. There will be on a, a column on the site 
by Monday night, Tuesday morning. We'll see what everyone wants for the holidays. We'll see what the corporate says when it should be released. But look forward on the site. Until then. <laughs>